What kind of fun is waiting for you at King's Island? The holy cow, we're way too high and here comes the drop kind of fun. The make a splash all summer kind of fun. The I can't believe I ate that whole funnel cake. Let's get another kind of fun. But most importantly, at King's Island, you'll find for the fun of it kind of fun. Don't wait to start your fun this season. King's Island is now open weekends. Tired of fighting your kids to make their bed? Say hello to Betty's. The unique design lets your kids make their bed with just a zip. Our patented bedding includes everything you need, a fitted sheet, top sheet, and comforter in one seamless piece that zips together. Kids love the feeling of accomplishment when they can make their bed by themselves every day. Make your mornings easier and visit Bettys.com. That's B-E-D-D-Y-S dot com. Hey, Firsties. Happy New Year. And for those of you who are here for Killing Time, well, you know what they say. New Year, new Killing Time. We're actually revamping your favorite Thursday release from the first degree. And that's going to take us a couple weeks. So... What we're doing instead, we're obviously not going to leave you hanging. So for the next few weeks, we're going to drop some of our favorite Patreon episodes into the feed on Thursdays instead. For those of you listening who have been toying with the idea of joining our Patreon, now you can listen to a few of the episodes and see if you're digging it. If not, no hard feelings because Killing Time will be back soon. Without further ado, here we go. The second degree. In the Welcome to The Second Degree, your double dose of depravity. It's me, Jack, here with Lex. Hope uh, your week is going well. How are you feeling, Lex? I am feeling excited for the week to come. Lots of content coming to our firsties as per usual. Feeling uh, vibey. So like we've said the last couple of weeks, a lot of these Patreon episodes that we're doing have been sourced from you, our lovely listeners. And today this episode comes from Lindsay Greenberg. She wrote us in about this episode. We had been reading some of the emails, but I don't want to give anything away. But thank you for um, asking us to do a little bit of a deep dive. Yeah, we'll take your recommendations because it's much easier than us just throwing you know, a metaphorical dart at a, yeah, exactly. To, to just pick something out of a, out of the blue. Cause then we know at least one of you has a vested interest yes. in it, um, which is better than just maybe none of you. So yeah, exactly. That's, that's where we're going with that. All right. So let's get right into it. Yeah. Let's dive in. When it comes to relationships, sometimes they can be a slippery slope. Regardless of these relationships are romantic or just friendly in nature, they're layered, they're complicated. Sometimes they fracture, and sometimes people enter them with bad intentions. And many people have their guard up and make it difficult for people to get close to them. And this is better or for worse. And today's story demonstrates that certain people are definitely worth keeping at a distance. 
So today's case takes us back to Wednesday, April 25th of 2001. The number one song in the country was All For You by Janet Jackson, followed by Destiny Child's Survivor. Good time in music. What a time for music videos, too. Oh, my God. I know. The Survivor music video where they were like on a stranded island, desert island. I know. I miss music videos. I miss music videos, too. And the making of, I mean, that was a good time in history. It really was. So Bridget Jones's Diary and Josie and the Pussycats and Blow were all playing in theaters. And the president was George W. Bush, who on April 25th pledged U.S. military to support Taiwan if China ever attacked them. And this was the first time a presidential administration publicly supported Taiwan against China's looming threats. And the setting for today's case is located in Hicksville, New York. And Hicksville is an unincorporated area on Long Island. And I'm very familiar with this area as a Long Island native. And Hicksville was named after Valentine Hicks, who bought the land to build railroad tracks. And by 1837, the railroad station became a regular stop for moving produce, specifically cucumbers and potatoes. Near Hicksville in a neighboring college town lies Hofstra University. So Hofstra University is a liberal arts college, and it's really important to today's history. So it was founded in 1935, and it's the largest private university on Long Island, with over 10,000 students in attendance per year. Our story centers around a student who started attending Hofstra in the fall of 1999, and his name is Max Kolb, and he was 20 years old. Max was an honor student from Kingston, Massachusetts, studying film and communications. And while at college, he produced a short film called Blinding Heather. And this was a little bit of a love story. So he was a bit of a romantic, maybe. Or he just liked making films. Who knows? Romantic. If you're going to do a love story as your first film, I feel like most dudes would do like some action thing or Or some like like thriller or something. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's really, really cute. Totally. And for fun, Max would take the train into Manhattan to attempt getting into the late show with David Letterman's studio audience, which as somebody who has attended many and been a seat filler for types of shows like this, it's a very good, it's fun to do when you're younger. It's very thrilling. Yeah. So other students described him as funny, sweet, and a gentleman. And according to the New York Times, Max was a Dean's List student He was diligent, straight-laced, and a good listener, you know, the kind of guy who sent an email to his mother daily. Really cute. And on his dorm room desk, he kept a neatly drawn schedule of television shows that he didn't want to miss. So he's a pop culture buff. Love it. So in 2001, Max was a sophomore. And on April 28th, his father and stepmother were in town, and they had plans to take Max to dinner. But oddly, when they arrived and knocked on the door of his dorm, it was locked. And... All they heard was silence coming from the other side. It seemed that Max wasn't there. So becoming alarmed because this isn't something Max would do, they retrieved campus staff and had the door open from the outside. And once they got in Max's dorm room, it was completely empty. There was no sign of him. So where was he? It wasn't like Max to flake on plans like this, especially plans with his parents. When Max's father and stepmom looked around and noticed that there were several notes scattered on the floor of the room, they read them, and they were from Max's classmates and his friends. The notes said things like, Max, where are you? You weren't in class. And Max, give me a call. So this is very alarming, especially for his parents to see. So how long had Max been gone exactly, and where the hell was he? There was no sign of Max on campus. He wasn't with friends. He wasn't in the library or any of the usual places that he would be. And this was despite the facts that Max's car was found parked near his dorm room, like in the parking lot of the dorm. So Max's car was here, but he wasn't. 
Growing more and more concerned, his parents ultimately filed a missing persons report with the Nassau County Police Department. And a search of Max's university cards revealed that he had last used his campus meal card four days ago for dinner. But beyond that, the authorities couldn't find anything else indicating where he could be, what he was doing. They had nothing. No one seemed to know where he was, and no one had heard from him. However, Max was a college kid and a relatively independent one. He's the kind of guy who doesn't shy away from things like hopping on a train into the city to catch a show. So maybe he was doing some kind of a soul searching or visiting friends at a different college. But to everybody who knew Max, this was kind of impossible. Max cared about school and he wouldn't bail on his courses in the middle of a college semester. Right. And to the horror of Max's parents, the investigation stretched on as there was still no word from Max. You know, the hope was that he would pop up in a day or so, but that's not what happened. Days kept going by, and soon it had been a staggering two weeks with no new information about where he was and no one hearing from him. Search parties were organized to help find him, and his parents, along with the help of other students, put up posters and passed by Max's usual stops and talked to the media. Max's mother even changed the family's phone voicemail to say, Max, honey, please call and let us know you're all right, sweetie. We love you. By May 16th, the Kolb family had planned to announce a $5,000 reward for information relating to Max's case. But right before the reward was made public, a tip was called into the local Crime Stoppers. And this is the first viable tip that they had received at all. The caller was anonymous and said that the last time that they saw Max, he was getting into a Land Rover belonging to a man named Sean Alexander. So who is Sean Alexander, and what is his relationship to Max? Maybe he knew where Max was, or at least could point the police into the right direction. Police soon learned that Sean was a 23-year-old student who also attended Hofstra University, and presumably he was a friend of Max's. Obviously, police needed to talk to Sean, but initially they had no luck locating him. And by this point, things are really high stakes because Max had been missing for weeks on end. And authorities were worried for his physical safety. Now they were suspecting that perhaps foul play was involved because there had been no use of his credit cards, his student cards. He kept missing classes. Like his parents knew and the police suspected that they wouldn't do this. Max wouldn't be doing this unless someone was holding him against his will or worse. So due to the sense of urgency in the situation, they secured a warrant to search Sean Alexander's apartment and his Land Rover. And luckily, by the end of the day, the police were able to locate Sean, and he was pulled over after his car was spotted driving near his apartment. So if Sean was, in fact, the last person to see Max alive, could he hold the key to finding him? And again, who was Sean? What was his relationship with Max? And did he know what happened to him? And of course, for all of that, we've got to go back. 23-year-old Sean Alexander was from Dunwoody, Georgia, and he came from a pretty wealthy family. In high school, he was voted as the worst driver. What a thing to to win. Like Great. that's not <laughs> – why would they even assign that at a school like that? That's like kind of mean-spirited. Yeah. Right? You, I thought like those things were supposed to be positive, like best eyes, <laughs> nicest smile. It's, it's like, also just like dangerous to yeah. be like promoting worst driver. Like don't celebrate it, right? Yeah. So Sean started attending Hofstra University in the fall of 1996 as a banking and finance major. And I myself am no mathematician. But since Max went missing in 2001, that's almost six years. And guess what? In those years, Mr. Alexander was still just a sophomore business student. So he should have been done with school by then. 
Yeah. And he'd only completed 51 credits and students had to have 120 credits to graduate, which means in six years, he wasn't even half the way finished after all that time. Wow. Okay. So that tells you a little bit about the person we're dealing with, right? Also, Hofstra is a private school, which means it's very expensive, which means his parents are paying for six years and just 51 credits. Well, he's like twiddling his thumbs every year. What's this dude doing? So let's get you an even clearer picture of who this Sean Alexander guy is. So according to his university record, he was disciplined in 1998 for making fraternity pledges eat olives doused with Tabasco sauce. I mean, listen, that's not ideal, but this seems like not the worst thing. I mean, I've I've heard of worse college hazing. Don't do this, but don't do any hazing, right? Yes. Either way, here's something else to know about Sean. So he had a dorm room, he had a 67-inch TV music system, smoke machine, elaborate lights, and video games. And his like room was kind of the place to hang out because he had all this expensive entertainment stuff. And this, I can see a perfect picture of who this guy is just by mm-hmm. reading this one line. Mm-hmm. Sean could often be seen walking the dorm halls with a cell phone headset on barking orders to a stockbroker <laughs> about making trading stocks and buying stocks. And oh he was God. doing this loud enough so everyone could hear. So what a douche. What a guy like trying to flex his parents' money um, a stockbroker. And he's okay. also 23, hanging out with 18-year-olds who are freshmen. You know, he's this kind of dude. Absolutely. And according to the New York Times, which interviewed many people from Sean's hometown of Atlanta, he seemed like an outsider. And he kind of lured others into his orbit by giving elaborate parties. Sean's high school yearbook identified him as the president of the Thespians, a business manager of the school's newspaper, and the, a member of the environmental club. And like Alexis said, he was also, you know, deemed the worst driver, and he got in a ton of car accidents. But for each car that he wrecked, including a new Jeep Grand Cherokee, he got replaced with another car and another car and another car. Yes, because his parents just, that's how they rolled. So... Once the police received this tip pointing them in Sean's direction, they began investigating Sean and Max's relationship, their friendship, whatever it was, and trying to figure out what they could about the dynamic between the two of them. So Sean and Max reportedly met in 2000, which would have been Max's freshman year, and they were neighbors on the 10th floor of their campus dormitory building, and the two would talk often. By December of that year, Sean moved into a different dorm, but he and Max still kept in touch. They had become pretty good friends, and they had recently gone on a camping trip together along with Sean's fraternity brothers to Vermont. And Sean's frat brothers would later say that it was odd that Sean invited Max on the trip because none of them really knew him, and nobody had ever heard Sean talk about him. So he was kind of just like the random friend that was invited on the trip, which must have been so awkward for Max. Yeah, especially camping like... It's not a party. Like inviting a random friend to a party is normal. No, but camping like, is intimate. Intimate, exactly. Like you're sleeping on the ground next to someone, and I'm sure the frat brothers were like, "Okay, this is odd," but yeah. I'm sure they were cool with it. But something yeah. to note for sure. Kind of awkward. So not long after, Sean was moved again, and this was to an apartment by the beach with some of his frat brothers. And as far as Sean's personality, he just, I mean, we've described some of the things about him, and he sounds kind of obnoxious, a little douchey, if you ask yeah. me. And he was known to brag about his family's money. Again, no surprise there. He showed up to campus driving a brand new expensive car every year. And he told all of his friends that his parents sent him $3,000 a month, which he spent supplying alcohol for all the parties that he hosted. It's almost like a um, Van Wilder kind of a yeah. situation. Oh, but totally. like 
he's not Ryan Reynolds no. and he's kind of like a loser. <laughs> yeah. Who has to buy friendships. Who has to buy friendships. So other friends and roommates said that Sean was pushy. He suffered from bipolar disorder and he had severe mood swings. Hi, it's Martha Stewart. You know, I spend a lot of time thinking about dirt. At 3 a.m.? At all hours of the day, really. What people don't know is that not all dirt is the same. You need dirt with the right kind of nutrients. New miracle Grow organic raised bed and garden soil is so dense, so full of nutrient-rich, high-quality ingredients. miracle Grow is simply the best. When I was growing up, I took French in high school, but I could never get the language to stick. I wanted to be fluent so bad, but it never happened. I just couldn't focus and I couldn't practice enough and it didn't work. But thankfully, there's Rosetta Stone, which is the most trusted language learning program. And it's available on desktop or it can be used as an app on your phone or tablet. Rosetta Stone is different. It immerses you in so many ways. And with its intuitive process, you can pick up any language naturally, first with words, then phrases, and then sentences. And before you know it, boom, conversations. Plus, with Rosetta Stone's true accent feature, you'll get feedback on how well you're pronouncing words. It's like having a personal trainer for your accent. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, the first degree listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com first. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com first today. Okay, so it comes as no surprise that I have absolutely no idea how to cook. I don't want to learn how to cook. It's not really my thing. But when I tried Factor meals, it was a freaking game changer. So Factor's fresh, never frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. Yeah, two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great tasting meals. So the first time I tried Factor meals, I was actually blown away because I'm like, that's it. That That's all it is. Two minutes and the meals are so delicious. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every single week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. And you can treat yourself to restaurant quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, ooh, fancy, shrimp, and blackened salmon. Like I said, they're so easy to prepare. I love them. So head to factormeals.com slash degree50 and use code degree50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code degree50 at factorymeals.com slash degree50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. It's almost summer and the best and most sustainable way to shop for a new season is on therealreal.com. The Real Real is the largest and most trusted source for authenticated luxury resale. It's the only place you'll find brands like Hermes, Cartier, Prada, Dior, Staud, Zimmerman, Jacquemus, and more for up to 90% off retail. 10,000 plus new arrivals land every single day from hundreds of brands you love, all authenticated by a team of in-house experts. Whether it's that perfect wedding guest look, a new summer sandal, an updated beach tote, resort wear for your summer vacation, you're bound to find exactly what you're looking for, plus deals you won't get anywhere else on therealreal.com. Visit therealreal.com and use code FIRST at checkout for 20% off. Terms apply. 
So Sean, at this point, he's becoming a focus of the police investigation. And after he's pulled over, he was acting dodgy. And the police are like, hey, why don't you come down to the station and answer some questions? And he agreed to do that. So once he's in front of the police, they're able to get him talking. And again, he's acting fucking weird. And more and more, it's looking like this guy is involved in Max's disappearance somehow. And finally, Sean really started talking. And what he revealed would shock, horrify, and give nightmares to everyone in the Hofstra University community and beyond. So here's what happened. Brace yourselves. And he just confessed. You know, it didn't take that much pressure under police questioning for him to out himself. And it's really disturbing what he ultimately said. So it turns out on the night that Max disappeared, which was April 25th, Sean had called him and said that he needed to talk through some personal problems he was having. So that conversation went on and it somehow led to Sean saying, I'm going to pick you up outside of your dorm. So that's what he did. He picked him up and the two friends drove to a motel in nearby Hicksville. So unbeknownst to Max, Sean had brought something with him that night. He brought rope, duct tape, two knives, and a date rape drug. They did not specify which drug it was, but based on it being called a date rape drug, we're going to assume it's GHB. Um, Who knows exactly what it was, though. And what isn't clear to me in the research is how Sean was able to administer this drug to Max, but he was successfully able to do so. Whether that was like, here, man, let me have a beer, like have a beer, have this, like he was able to- how anybody administers a date rape drug pretty easily. Pretty easily. But usually when you think about date rape drugs, you think about it like people dumping it into a girl's drink at a bar who's a stranger. Yeah. You don't, I mean, I know it's happened. You know, you can do it to people, you know, and people have done it, but it's just not not normally the context we hear, right? Right. Um, So after this drug was in Max's system and they were inside this room, apparently Sean attempted to make a sexual advance on Max. But Max wasn't gay. He had a girlfriend and he obviously wasn't attracted to Sean whatsoever. So he rejected Sean's advances. And according to Sean, at this point, Max started to freak out. And in turn, this made Sean angry. And soon Max became unconscious. And with Max's body motionless, Sean used a rope and duct tape to bound and gag him. Defenseless, Sean started taking Max's clothes off and took pictures of him. And then using a kitchen knife, Sean stabbed Max in the chest repeatedly. Reminder, this happened in a motel. So there are people around. This isn't in the comfort of anyone's home. Yeah. And it was room 102 of this motel, which was just 10 feet from the front desk of this place. Oh, my God. So, like, really ballsy. Um, But I guess, like, if Max had been drugged, noise wouldn't have been a factor here. But you think that Sean would be more apprehensive. You know, this is like a very bold thing to do in a, in a setting that is not a home of yours or whatever. Yeah. So according to Sean, he did this, he stabbed Max until he was dead. And then he hugged and caressed Max's body, which is just so insane. So hours later, as the sun started to rise, Sean realized like, I got to get out of here and I have to start trying to figure out how to cover my tracks. So he wrapped Max in two plastic garbage bags and put those inside of a large tarp. He dragged the tarp out of the room and put it in the back of his Land Rover. So by 5.40 a.m., Sean actually went to the motel front desk to check himself out. And in an attempt to explain what the room looked like and the state of the room, he told the desk manager 
that he'd cut his knee and apologized for whatever blood they had found in the room. And as you may have guessed, based on what he was admitting to, there was a lot of blood in this room, but we'll get to that later. So Max's body stayed in the Land Rover for seven days, and the smell was obviously noticed by some of Sean's friends when they came and rode around with him. And over the course of seven days, he drove them around while Max was still in the back wrapped in garbage bags. When friends confronted him about the smell, Sean told his friends that he didn't know what it was and that he smelled it for the past few days. Like, who knows? These friends did eventually report the horrendous smell to the police, but Sean had already been arrested. Right. And he continued to drive around with Max in his car. And by this point, he realizes that word of Max's disappearance was starting to spread through the Hofstra community. So he knew he needed to do something to try to get rid of this evidence he was carrying around in the back of his car, which was his former friend, which is insane. So on the eighth day, Sean moved Max to a storage unit that he'd rented on Long Island. And the storage unit was previously being used for Sean's things because he moved around a lot. You know, he's moving from the dorm to the apartments, whatever. Um, After five days in storage, he transported the body once again. This time, Sean dug a shallow grave at his beach apartment and buried Max behind a brick backyard barbecue. And after Max was buried, Sean actually tried to start a fire at the barbecue. Unclear why, unclear what he was doing or burning, but the flames got so out of hand that the fire department was actually called to put it out. So they're standing right there having no idea that Max is, you know, a stone's throw from this barbecue pit, which is on Ugh. fire that they're called to put out, which is awful. awful. The firefighters, though, not never saw any sign of the body because Max has already been buried. And they didn't notice the smell since the smoke would have disseminated any other odors and been the most prominent at that time. On May 17th, authorities went to retrieve the body and Max was exactly where Sean said he would be. His body was inside a tarp, naked and wrapped with duct tape and rope. A medical examiner determined that Max was stabbed in the chest repeatedly and he was cut from his sternum to his belly button. And this is very disturbing, but he was also partially dismembered. A lead investigator described the scene as the most disturbing he had been to in 22 years. And it was determined that Sean and Max had no prior sexual relationship, although obviously Sean wanted one. So as far as other evidence, officers uncovered a film camera that belonged to Sean and Eventually, this film was developed and revealed these photos that Sean had taken of the crime scene and of Max's body. There were photos of his arms, his leg, his abdomen, and feet from the night the murder occurred. Now, when it came to the motel room, employees said there was an abnormal amount of blood splattered on the carpet, walls, and in the bathroom. And it took them two days to clean everything. I just wonder, like, in these situations, why wouldn't you call the police? Like, yeah, he said he cut his knee, but you saw the man walk out of here perfectly fine. His knee wasn't cut that bad. And if there was blood on the walls, like, no, you need to have the leg cut off to have that much blood. blood. Like that is so, and I'm sure he was being suspicious. There's no way he's like already a little bit like weird. weird. So it's like, I can't imagine what his demeanor was like after he just committed this absolutely horrific murder, like put two and two together there's blood everywhere. This dude is acting fucking weird. Like, I don't know. Totally. And I don't know. I mean, it was 2001 and I don't know what like CCTV 
security footage was like then. I know they had it. I think it was a lot more archaic than it is now, but the guy dragged a tarp out of his room, you know, filled that look, you know what I mean? Like there had to be someone, but I always think in these situations, like God bless him. It's like people who clean hotel rooms, they're doing really difficult work and they probably ran it up to the flagpole to their supervisors. And the supervisors are like, we need this room turned over. Like, we don't want the paperwork. Just clean it. Like, don't get involved. Don't put like, stick your head in business that isn't yours because like, I'm sure that happens. And it's like, these people are just trying to make money for their families. It's not really their fault, but it probably is a supervisor's fault. Yeah. No, that's what I was saying. I'm like, it's somebody's fault. Yeah, for sure. So the gravity of the crime was extremely concerning to detectives and it obviously rocked the entire county. They questioned how somebody could disguise a murder so well and only be a first-time killer. But Sean claimed that he hadn't committed any other murders, and the police did their due diligence and were never able to connect anything to Sean. Sean was initially charged with second-degree murder, but his charges were upgraded to first-degree as well as kidnapping and attempted sexual abuse. With first-degree, he could face the death penalty. Right, and the assumption here is the pre-planning elements. Like, you bring a date break drug, you bring rope, knives, duct tape. Like obviously you were planning to do something and you were expecting him to reject you because you knew he had a girlfriend of your friends. Right. So naturally news of Sean's arrest and the truth about what had happened to Max put a huge dark cloud over Hofstra University. And one professor commented, the campus is shaken. And I would say that's probably an understatement, right? News crews swarmed the university campus, creating more stress on the students who were processing what had happened, especially because at the time this all broke, it was finals week and graduation was just days away. And people back in Georgia were shocked by the news about Sean as well. The Alexander family was known as quiet, nice neighbors, and Sean's high school principal said that he was a good student and involved in several clubs. After he was charged, Sean's parents hired a lawyer and drove up to New York to be with him. And as for Max's family, their hopes had turned into horror. Max's mother said, there's just no way to make sense of this. At Sean's arraignment, prosecutors introduced documents, photos, and witnesses that would show Sean as the last person that was seen with Max. They claimed that Sean tried to lure Max before drugging, murdering, and mutilating him. And prosecutors called it a thrill killing. The Nassau County BA's office was looking for life in prison for Sean. And the defense countered with an insanity plea, citing Sean's history of mental illness. During one hearing, Sean told the judge that a monster was inside of him named Jared. Don't tell your Jared. Oh, no. Goodness. And Jared escaped from inside of him, and he was the one who killed Max. But ultimately, Sean was deemed competent for trial. And I want to pause real quick and talk about this. So listen, this guy, we know he had bipolar disorder, and that may be true. But he negated any insanity insanity plea, it's not valid if you go through all these steps to conceal what you did because then you knew it was wrong. Well, yeah. I mean, the insanity plea is basically saying, does the accused know the difference between right right and wrong? It's not, do you have a mental illness? It's do you, like what you're doing, do you know that it's a wrong thing to do? Right. And we were talking about this yesterday. Jack and I were hanging out, not working, but this came up. Jack, tell me what you were saying that was it Ben Kissel from last podcast on the left, a quote that he says about mental illness that re- that we were talking about because it's it applies to everything and makes so much sense. Uh, it was Marcus from last Marcus. podcast. And it, uh, I mean, I don't know if he even came up with this, but he uh, he was credited it, credited with it somewhere that I was reading. But he was saying that your mental illness is not your fault, but it's your responsibility. And I think that that's a really, really interesting and poignant 
quote. I agree. And here it's like, man is an insane. This man might have bipolar disorder, but most people with bipolar disorder don't hurt people. And if you do have a mental illness that is out of control, it's your responsibility to get it under control. There's medication, there's therapy, there's whatever you got to do, right? But, you know, this is obviously not a valid insanity, mm-hmm. you know, argument here, right? No, he no. negates that on his own. So in January of 2003, on the very day his trial was set to begin, Sean actually shocked everyone by entering a surprise guilty plea when it was believed that he was taking this thing to trial and pleading not guilty because he already had. So as a result, Sean pleaded guilty to second-degree murder and second-degree kidnapping. In the packed courtroom, Sean was seen twitching and his head was rocking back and forth. And, you know, not sure if that means anything, whether that's remorse or like resigning to his fate, but either way, he was ultimately sentenced to 30 years to life in prison, 25 for murder and five for kidnapping. 30 years is not enough for a crime this brutal. Um, but no, it's he needs to rot in jail for the rest of his life. Like, that's yeah. insane. Well, it's so predatory. Like, think about every yeah. element. You know what I mean? Like, every element is disgusting and premeditated and let's incapacitate him. Let's render him unable to defend himself. Let's, it's just so predatory. Like, I feel like if he had done this to a woman, people would be more outraged, you know, and these cases are rare where it's like two men like this. Um, but it's, it's truly a terrifying crime. And the motive kind of is in limbo because it's like, did, is it because Max rejected his sexual advances, but he came with all of this, all of his supplies to murder Max before. So he obviously knew that he was going to reject his sexual advances. He was planning on doing this anyways. So it's like, where exactly is the motive? Exactly. So apparently during Sean's confession, he told the detectives that he wanted a male to show him affection. Okay. And like, let's think about the dichotomy of Sean Alexander. So he was in the thespian club in high school. And then he mm-hmm. joins like a broy frat, right? Yeah. And so he may have been grappling with his own sexuality and not feeling as though he could be accepted as someone who is possibly gay. And that could mm-hmm. have really played a role here. I, I don't know. Um, so beyond that, when Sean was during his confession, he also said, He just said Kolb was a nice kid, but didn't assume he was homosexual. Was this actually a thrill killing? Or if Max had reciprocated Sean's advances, would this not have happened? And here's what the Nassau District Attorney investigator said when questioned by the New York Times. He said the evidence would show that he killed Max for the thrill of it and not, as he told the police, because Max refused his advances. It clearly wasn't a question of him being rebuffed. It's clear that there was no struggle because Max had been drugged and was unconscious. So this answers our questions, right? Like Max was fucking unconscious. He didn't resist the advances because he was unconscious. So you didn't kill him because he rebuffed you. Like you killed him because your plan was to kill him and you did this. Listen, the call at night to be like, hey, I need to talk about something personal. Hey, I need a friend right now. Can I see you in person? Will you talk me through this? Hey, let's go somewhere. I don't want to – like every single step was – was part of this ruse to lure him into a vulnerable position. Absolutely. So either way, no matter how you slice it, answers about Sean's deranged motive will never bring Max back and we'll never fully understand it because people with brains 
that think what he did was a good idea is not something a logical, healthy person can ever understand. Right. Sean's sentencing came just months before Max would have graduated from Hofstra. And Max's mother said, I am so devastatingly lonely without Max. God, that breaks my heart. Horrible. In remembrance, Max's family set up a scholarship in his name. And it helps fund senior film student projects because that was what Max was the most passionate about. And ever since 2001, an annual Hofstra TV telethon has been filmed to collect donations that goes towards scholarships that are in Max's honor. Man. Yeah, it's just it's just devastating. And it's like, why? There's so many questions that we'll never get answers to. Like, why Sean picked Max? Why Sean thought he couldn't, you know be gay if that's what he was and why he couldn't channel any frustration about being gay into something, a healthier outlet, you know, like tons of people who are closeted don't do this. I'm sorry. It's like, no, it's horrible. It's horrible. There's no other words for it. Well, and it just is interesting because I, I mean, I don't think that we know that he had like a crazy fixation on him and he was obsessed with him and like, you know, it it doesn't seem like it's something like that. So it's more like of a casual situation when it comes to Sean's choice. Yeah. And that's what I think is the scariest of it all. Right. Cause I think in the reporting, when they talk about, you know, Sean's fraternity brothers never having heard of him, like you're right. It's not this like insane fixation that anyone else seemed to clock in hindsight. You know, it's like, no, he was keeping this to himself. And it was like this weird, did he, did he really think he was going to get away with this is a thing. Like and it's like, yeah, it's so premeditated, yet you did it almost in a public location and we're so bad at every – it's just – it's very weird. Yeah, the only I, thing that seemed to catch him is that tip, which is also crazy. Yeah. It wouldn't so, happen today, not with no. all of the oh, surveillance no, today. Because no. now if you want to clear yourself, you just hand over your phone. Like right. the locations, your social media logins. Like that's what I kind of love about phones. It's like if I was ever accused of something, I'd be like, I'm good. Take my phone. Check. Here's my IP address. Like see what I was doing at home. Here's my login to Netflix. You yeah. can see I was watching TV. Oh, I have a ring doorbell. I have a padlock on my door that I'll show you when I came and went. Well, my yeah, building, it's you like, know, it's, it, it's the alibis that like, Oh, I was home that back in the day. It's like that, that doesn't work. Cause it's like, how can you prove it? It's like, now you can kind of prove pretty much anything. So, I mean, that's one little thing that technology has improved our lives. Yeah, absolutely. Anyways, horrible story. Um, Max didn't deserve that. And, you know, Lindsay, thank you for putting this case on our radar because his memory certainly deserves to be kept alive. Absolutely. And uh, we will see all of our New York firsties on Thursday and all of our Chicago firsties next Saturday, the 22nd. And it's weird that this was a New York case and we're going to New York like right now in the air. Oh, that is? Oh, didn't plan that. Look at that. And just so everyone knows, the primary research sources for this case for the New York Times, New York Daily News, court documents, and beyond. Bye. Bye. Tired of fighting your kids to make their bed? Say hello to Betty's. The unique design lets your kids make their bed with just a zip. 
Our patented bedding includes everything you need. A fitted sheet, top sheet, and comforter in one seamless piece that zips together. Kids love the feeling of accomplishment when they can make their bed by themselves every day. Make your mornings easier and visit Bettys.com. That's B-E-D-D-Y-S dot com.